Welcome in here to Forward Progress, our first official live episode of the 2023 season. I'm Rob Pizzola. Momentarily, I'm going to be joined by a roundtable of guests here as we're going to talk about what's happened in the preseason so far, how that's affected our expectations of these teams going forwards this year. And I just want to remind everyone, I preach this all the time, line shopping is going to be your best tool in terms of being a successful NFL better this year. You don't want to have one out. You want to have multiple outs. And in a lot of those cases, Pinnacle, especially if you're in Ontario, is going to have the best price in market. So make sure you have a Pinnacle account if you're in Ontario. They are the world's sharpest sports book. Find out what pro bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle's where the best bettors play. You must be 19 plus. And of course, please play responsibly. Wednesdays, 2 o'clock Eastern time, you're going to want to bookmark that or just subscribe to the channel right here, Forward Progress. Click that bell icon, set notifications Tuesday from now until the end of the NFL regular season. We are going to be live here on Forward Progress. Preseason, regular season, we're breaking it all down, giving picks for the week. So make sure that you do have notifications set. Also, as we lead up into the season here, we're going to be doing some regular Q&As here on the Forward Progress channel. If you do have questions that you want us to answer, throw them into the comments. Even if you're not watching this live and you're watching it after the fact, we do read the comments. So throw any questions that you might have into the comments. We'll try to answer as many as we can on the Q&A episodes. On top of that, if you do want to email us, forwardprogress at thehammer.bet, you can email us and we will get to as many questions as we can here over the course of the preseason. That's enough with me. Let's bring in our cast of guests here that will be joining me uh, throughout the NFL season. Eric Eager, top right corner. George Sulfitas, bottom right. Hitman, bottom left. Thank you guys for joining me. I'm getting stoked, excited. Already in the span of the last week, we've seen some stuff go down, which tends to happen over the course of preseason. And I'll start with the news that came down this morning with Cooper Cup, because we've talked about the Rams as a group collectively here on Forward Progress and the fact that they're an aging team and potentially... There's uh, maybe a look at alternate season win total under with this team because of the possibility of them trading away key players as the year goes on. I'll start with you, Eric. You see the Cooper Cup injury today. We know that he's dealt with injuries before. This is a little bit different. It's like a soft tissue thing that's going on. But what's your immediate reaction to the Cooper Cup situation? Yeah, I mean, look, the Rams won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago by being a strong link team, right? With Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, Andrew Whitworth, you know, and piecing together, right, sort of breaking the mold in terms of kind of the stars and scrubs approach finally working in the NFL. It fell all apart last year when a lot of those players, all those players ended the season injured. There was always a, a little bit of a wait and see approach for them because Cup, Stafford and Donald are all among the best at their position. And, you know, you're already seeing that crumble a little bit. They, they were tweeting out, you know, sort of the secondary targets for this team, talking about guys like Tutu Atwell, uh, Chiefs legend Demarcus Robinson, uh, you know, those guys. And it's it's going to look dark for that team if, if Cup can't play a lot. And so, you know, I think that the original read on the Rams was to sort of wait and see, to kind of not necessarily bet into their season-long win total because it was going to be it, – it, it, in large likely, likelihood, there was going to be, it was going to be a much different team in September than it was going to be in October, November, December. 
And I think you could maybe uh, modify that a little bit and just say, look, this is a team that might end up just simply playing for the future here uh, under Sean McVay. Yeah, Hitman and, and George, I want to get your thoughts on any betting applications here because this is like a hamstring injury. We know what this tends to mean. I'm not saying a, a wide receiver can't suffer a hamstring injury in preseason and then be fine for the regular season. That's happened before, but a lot of times these injuries linger. And you look at the betting board right now, Rams have a win total of six and a half. You look at the divisional prices, I mean, they're still a long shot at plus 900, but does that create potential value in the division, George, on potentially a Seattle in the plus 205 range, or maybe even San Fran just laying the VIG at minus 180 or so, knowing that like the Rams, even though they were a fringe contender now, there's like more uncertainty altogether with that team going forwards. Yeah, it, it almost feels like it's immense that this is a two-team race, and you you literally could arb by betting both and just absolutely fading the Rams and the Cardinals. I don't see a world where the Rams uh, compete for the division because the Cooper Cup thing, what it did was highlighted how fragile this team is. They are three established stars who are older, and I think it's a poor bet to assume that they would finish the season completely healthy. And I already said, with Cooper Cup there and with Stafford, this isn't a very hard offense to defend. It's it's a one-weapon offense. And if you take away Cooper Cup, like, barring being an atrocious defense, I don't know how uh, the Rams can expose anybody's defense. It's not very hard to defend Ben Skoranek and Tutu Atwell as your main two uh, receiving options. Yeah, Hitman, I want to get your thoughts on that as well. And Patrick in the chat already said Stafford under 3850 yards is his favorite prop. I think that's moved a little bit down now in some spots that I've seen right now. But overall, your assessment on the Rams, if there's any applications in playing anything based off of a Cooper Cup preseason injury that we don't know the length of, and whether or not you still agree that there might be some value in Stafford unders. Um, everything I've heard with Cooper Cup from a lot of like the, the Twitter doctors, the Twitter NFL doctors has been, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we're five and a half weeks out from the start of the regular season. It should be something that's two to three weeks. So I would, I would say this, if I was pro Rams this season, I would look to attack them in earlier games this season, week one, week two, week three, because they have this big three of Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, and Cooper Cup. And obviously it's a way higher probability that these guys are going to be healthy in week one, week two, week three, compared to later in the year. And conversely, if I was anti-Rams this season, I would maybe look at some of the game of the year lines and look to play against the Rams in week 13, 14, 15, when some of these guys are more likely to be injured. And if I was also anti-Rams maybe look at some alternate um, plays on them where go they go under four and a half worst record in the league something like that so that's kind of how I would look to uh, attack the Rams which are in a unique situation where they just have three amazing players but absolutely no and, and a coach that I like I, I like Sean McVay a lot I know some of his in-game decisions are questionable sometimes but as a play caller a schemer a leader. I really like him a lot. So that, that's the way I would look to, to play the Rams. Yeah. One narrative too about McVay, he is tremendous, but it does decline as the season progresses. He's like a little different than Shanahan in that regard, where you look at the Rams, you know, early season, even last season, they started this, like they started out with a winning record. It kind of fades for him. Um, and, and even though they did win the Super Bowl in 21, you have seen like a significant dip in his ability to gain an edge as a play caller in the second half of the season. So that's another reason when you think about not only are those great players, 
you know, more likely to play, as Hitman said, early in the season. But also McVay is more likely to be able to catch the league off guard early in the season than he is in the second half of the year. Yeah, that's a good point by you, Eric. And, and just to add to Hitman, what Hitman was saying earlier in regards to, like, if you're pro-Rams or anti-Rams, like, I'm anti-Rams, but I still think that just looking at what the early spreads were for the early games of the year, I will end up on them more likely than not because the market is just so down on them altogether, right? There's almost zero expectations of this team. Um, and some of the prices I've seen in the early going for the Rams, it's going to be like the hold your nose special earlier in the year. I hope it doesn't turn into what the like, Dolphins Ravens from a few years ago, where I think I took seven and a half with the Dolphins at home week one. I think, I think it was like 41 to seven. <laughs> that game was over in like seven minutes into the game. I'll, I'll never forget that. Uh, from one injury to another. So this one, potentially a lot more significant. Uh, Zach Taylor said on Friday last week that Joe Burrow is going to be sidelined for several weeks. It's a right calf strain for him, which is probably the best case scenario um, for the Bengals based off of seeing that injury and, and him go down on the field with a non-contact injury. Zach Taylor wouldn't elaborate as to whether or not Burrow is in jeopardy of missing any regular season games. Trevor Simeon, Jake Browning are in competition for the backup role there. Um, we don't know the significance of the calf strain from what it sounds like because it's kind of like a week-to-week -week thing. It seems to be like a moderate or grade two type of calf strain. But one of the more challenging things with these calf injuries over time is uh, what they call functional loading. Um, I've been doing a lot of work into this because obviously these, there's betting markets and we can um, you know, take advantage of these situations. But there's a lot of situations where a calf might be totally fine in walking day to day, even running. But as soon as you go to 100%, it acts up again. So we potentially could have uh, a longer term injury with the Cincinnati Bengals. We've seen that their win total, as is up on the screen, has been still at 11 and a half, but it's been bet down, Hitman, since the last time we talked about them when it was roughly in the minus 130 range. Uh, I'll start with you, Hitman. W what are you making of the Burrow injury? What goes through your head and in, in how to attack this? Maybe there's nothing to do um, other than to wait, but what is your immediate reaction hearing all the news? Well, when it first happened, there was some shops that still had like minus 140-ish um, on Bengals under 11 and a half. And you remember from our AFC North preview that we did a few weeks ago, I spoke about the, the Bengals under 11 and a half was a play that I actually made, but it was, it was a small edge. But when it first happened, the first thing instinct I said is, well, you know what? If Burrow is seriously hurt, then under 11 and a half is obviously the best regular season win bet I'm going to have all year. And if he ends up being fine, it's a play that I kind of liked anyway. And that's kind of the mindset that I have with Bengals under 11 and a half minus 150 now is if Burrow does miss some time, then it's, it's obviously a great play. And if he doesn't, it's a play that I – had a small edge on anyway. So I could only look towards playing the Bengals under right now, but I'll just put a caveat on that from again, Twitter doctors, they haven't examined these players. They don't know the exact grade of the sprain or anything like that, but it does seem to appear that I'd say with pretty high confidence Burrow probably is out there. Now it's just a question of how mobile he is in the pocket and he is going to be going against a Browns pass rush. That's going to be pretty good this year. And they have had his number in the past few years. But if I, like, like I said, if I had to make one play based off everything right now, still would look towards the Bengals under 11 and a half at minus half at minus one fifty. 
Yeah, Burrow, no stranger to missing preseason time either. Obviously, a couple of years ago, was recovering from the uh, the ACL injury. Last year, I think it was an appendectomy that he had to have in, in the preseason and missed some time as well. And the Bengals kind of got off to a slow start last year. George, I'm really interested in your take. I, I don't know if we talked about it on air before, but we definitely spoke about how we were both pretty high on the Bengals this season and, and just really closer to the Chiefs than maybe a lot that the market was giving them credit for. Um, and that's obviously just mine and George's personal opinion. But curious if your your standpoint on the team changes now, if you have a lot more hesitation in either taking out futures on the Bengals or backing them early on in the season because of this situation. So I'm of like two minds here. Whenever you have an injury, you start to calculate what are the what's the likeliness of him missing time or being a, a you know a fraction of what he really is and then you start to say well what's the consequences if i lock in the bet now and he's cleared and fully healthy versus him and that small chance that he does miss time and you start to say okay the potential upside is worth the potential of maybe being caught if he does get cleared on a line that was already iffy and and, and there was leanings towards the Bengals. and i want to stress like the importance of joe burrow i actually think people don't realize how big of an uh, important he is compared to guys like Jalen Hurts or Tua Tagovailoa who are um, often lifted by their play callers. There was an interesting dynamic last year where the markets were wrong on the Bengals for a lot of the year. And through the first five weeks of the season, the Bengals were two and three. They were 20th in EPA per play, 22nd in success rate. And what happened was there were some articles that came out and obviously it didn't get enough mainstream attention where the Bengals shifted to an all shotgun formation and they allowed Joe Burrow to audible at the at the line of scrimmage. And here's what they did the rest of the way. From week six on, they went 10-1. and one. They were second in EPA per play, second in success rate. And what the markets didn't calculate, because they were still betting against them, and if you loved the Bengals last year and higher on market, oftentimes you had to bet it Sunday morning in order to get the best price. And, and what happens is people didn't realize – the importance of Joe Burrow, because I don't believe that Zach Taylor or Brian Callahan are particularly good play callers or good schemers. I believe Joe Burrow is driving the entire offense, whereas when Tua Tagovailoa got hurt, Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater still had games where they threw for 300 yards. They took the Bills to a field goal game in the playoffs. When Jalen Hurts got hurt, Gardner Minshew almost beat the Cowboys that week. So there are teams that oftentimes the coaching staff and scheme can make up for losing a quarterback. And then there's teams that if a quarterback goes down, it's an unmitigated disaster. And that would be the case with Joe Burrow. With him, they are one of the three best teams in football. And without him, they may be one of the worst teams in football. Yeah, I I don't ne necessarily disagree with anything there. I, I really wonder what the actual gap is between Burrow and a backup. I mean, this is, this is one of the biggest challenges when betting the NFL, generally speaking. And we see it a lot whenever there's quarterback injuries in the NFL, how the market moves over the course of that week as different people feel like they have different valuations. We got our first Thomas Dimitrov appearance here on Forward <laughs> Progress of the Season. Good reminder for people to check out Sumer Sports as well. But Eric, I'll throw it over to you. Um, any applications to this? I mean, personally, I was already semi-lukewarm on the Cleveland Browns. And with a lingering calf injury, again, and this is an assumption that we have a lingering calf injury, maybe the Bengals just sit him down until he's fully 100%. But either mm -hmm. way, I feel like it creates upside on a team like the Browns or potentially the Ravens or even the Steelers if you want to go there in the division. Yeah, for sure. I think um, one of the things that George said that was really interesting as well was 
this idea of like the team playing up for a healthy quarterback and then the injured quarterback coming back in and it not being pretty at first. I mean, you remember with Dallas in 2021, Rob, where Dak was leading the league. It was sort of the what George said about the Bengals in the second half of 2022 was true about Dallas in the first half of 21. Dak injures the calf against New England, sits out. Cooper Rush wins that Sunday night game. Dak comes back and the offense isn't the same because of, you know, that exact injury. I think that that's what you worry about with the combination of, you know, Burrow probably going to play week one. He's and just like last year, he gutted out, you know, the first half, you know, few games of the season with the appendectomy. They go, you know, as they start 0 2, they lose to Cooper Rush as well. It sort of world comes around and then uh, they, they emerge. Like, I think that that's kind of what to expect. So when I'm looking at this AFC North, I'm looking at a little bit of Cleveland. I'm looking at, you know, some of those teams to take advantage of Cincinnati, at least early in the season. Having, having a little bit of a hangover, having, you know, gone all deep into the playoffs for consecutive years, and, and then, you know, having their quarterback hurt a, as they enter in. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Cleveland's kind of that that team where, you know, you're probably not going to bet any of the sort of like 50-50 markets, like, you know, like season win totals. Um, you, you more want to look at things like winning the AFC North or, or you know, even winning the AFC because they have that kind of talent but also they could implode. Like we have no idea how Deshaun Watson, for example, is going to do with Kevin Stefanski. Stefanski loves quarterbacks that can play under center, turn their back to the, the defense, play, play action. And we know Deshaun Watson simply hasn't been effective in that kind of system. He's much more in that Bill O'Brien stand in the shotgun, pick apart a defense with a spread type of thing. And so I think he, that's the gamble you're making. You're thinking, okay, a lot of things have to go right for Cleveland, you know, a team like Cleveland to really hit on this thing. And, you know, in my opinion, I think that they have a real a real good chance to, and this Bengals injury to Burrow just enhances that. Yeah, Cleveland sitting at plus 1846 to win uh, the AFC, as we see the numbers on the board. Cincinnati just a little bit lower than Buffalo right now at plus 510. I mean, listen, there is an argument to be made that maybe this is a good buy spot for Cincinnati with the way that the market is soured on them, right? Like there's the potential that this is nothing. And there has been a, a market move against them. So regardless, I, I do I'm preface. I don't like when players get injured in preseason. I don't like seeing players go down with such no, like non-contact injuries. But whenever we do have stuff like that, it really opens it up to, you know, trusting your opinion on a team and, and trying to find these advantages as a better. And we look at, you know, like another team with injury situation right now. And I'm very interested to get your guys' thoughts on the Denver Broncos because Personally, I don't like the Broncos at all this year, but the Sean Payton factor has been enough for me for the entirety of the preseason to not take out futures against them, to not really look to target fading this team in the early going. But the wide receiver room now taking big blows with Tim Patrick out for the year, already missed 2022 with uh, a torn ACL. He now has a torn Achilles, which is horrible for him. Uh, we have um, Hamler as well. KJ Hamler announces on Instagram that he has like mild heart irritation, pericarditis, it's called. Uh, we don't know what his status looks like for the rest of the year, but he looks like he's going to at least miss some time. And that to me is just like another blow for a Broncos team where it almost feels to me like so much has to go right for them this year. Russell Wilson has to return to form. Sean Payton has to come back into the league and like, put his stamp on this team. Maybe he's right. And it was like the worst coaching performance of all time last year with Nathaniel Hackett, but maybe he's also wrong. And this team just doesn't have 
um, the talent that he thinks that they do. I'll, I'll start with you, Hitman. Broncos regular season win total eight and a half, as we see on the board right now, juiced under. Uh, but what do you make of the wide receiver injuries in Denver? And, and what do you make of them going forwards this season? Um, I didn't think it was as big of a deal as some people made it out to be because obviously you have the two receiver, the two top receivers are in effect and in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy. Now, what it does is Cortland Sutton was rumored to be on the trade block potentially. That's not going to happen, it appears. But this was a team that they had a ton of depth at wide receiver. They had their first draft pick was Marvin Mims. And you have obviously Sutton Judy, um, KJ Hamler. It, the talk right now is, hey, he's probably going to get re-signed by the team, but it might be four to five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it wasn't a huge – I didn't make any adjustment to power rating based off what happened. Um, I'm kind of neutral on Denver compared to market. I think that the biggest impact of the injuries was just in Cortland Sutton, individual player props. He was a popular under player. Um, that his receiving yards got bet down to 675 and his touchdowns at five and a half, which was the opener, got bet down pretty heavy. So if you, I'd say that the biggest impact was to maybe look to bet some Cortland Sutton over props at 675 and a half. Since it seems like he's going to have a pretty big role now for Denver. So that was, that was my only thought when it happened no real power rating adjustment. But I guess the only thing it does do is now if Sutton or Judy does get hurt, then you're pretty damn thin. Whereas otherwise you were one of the deeper receiver rooms in the league. Yeah. Eric, what do you make of the wide receiver room in Denver? Yeah, it's, it's good up top. Now it, it probably going into the off season, you know, in a weird way, had the distinction of being the best quartet of receivers in football. And now you, you take away from that. The, the one thing, you know, with the Mike McGlinchey signing and, um, you know, the you know, basically waiting for Javante Williams to come back, like I think this team wants to run the football a lot. And so I, I think with the wide receiver position, it might be disappointing in that you're looking at them and, and there is talent there, but we don't necessarily know if Russell Wilson's going to be able to do the things that Sean Payton wants him to do. And I think instead of Sean Payton, like, you know, kind of re-engineering the passing game to make Russell Wilson uh, comfortable. He's probably just going to run the football more. And you look at their schedule starting out, it's it's pretty interesting. Like two two games at home, you know, we know that, you know, the, the altitude in Denver in early season games is a thing. Five out of the first eight are at home. I, when I look at that early season schedule, like I think the interesting thing is, is if you're if you're bullish on on Denver, um, I think your chances then to, to sort of take advantage of it because down the stretch, it gets a little bit harder. My numbers li- don't like Denver as much as like the narratives in my head do, right? When I think about Sean Payton going, um, you know, when Sean Payton going nine and eight with T- Taysom Hill, you know, Ian Book, Jameis Winston and Trevor Simeon, like that's, that kind of is in my head as like, okay, that's a positive. Um, it does not necessarily, even when I factor that in, it doesn't bear out in my numbers because it's just such a hard conference. It's such a hard division. Like that, if they were in the NFC, they'd be a classic buy, I think. But in the AFC, it's just it's just really hard. Even the Las Vegas Raiders, who everybody believes is going to be bad, like you can make a, a case that Las Vegas is better than them at some key at key positions like quarterback. Yep, absolutely. And we look at the division odds right now: uh, minus two or four for the Chiefs. I hadn't realized that was priced in that range. Obviously, defending Super Bowl champs, Chargers plus three twenty-seven, Broncos down to plus six eighty over there. I'll throw to you, George. Um, they loved your commentary in the chat. 
in regards to to Cincinnati. So you're going to have to step it up in in terms of Denver here and what you're thinking for them this season. All right, I'll try my best. Eric often talks about like weak link system and you're only as good as your worst player on the team. And I think Denver doesn't have two very good receivers. If you rank top two duels at receivers, they're not very good. Where their strength was, if they lined up four wide, they were pretty interesting. A lot of people thought Tim Patrick might actually have been the number two receiver this year and he was poised to make that step. So when I think of like, uh, how hard are you to de- to defend? You know when you're watching a game of football and it's fourth and short, it's a tough decision, and you you know as a defense what you want the offense to do, whether it's go for it or or, or punt or kick. It, it's the same system as now when you're defending this team. Uh, you don't have to have three or four good corners to defend this team. You only need two. Um, I, and I look at the overall depth of the team. I go after Javante Williams. I don't like their backup running back situation. I think P Ryan is a very one, uh, one-sided, uh, running back after the tight end position, Greg Dulcich. I don't like the depth there. And after now the top two receivers, I don't like any of the depth there. So this isn't an offense that scares me as a whole. And they are like one more injury away from being a, a pretty mediocre group of weapons. So when I'm thinking of it from a defensive coordinator's perspective, this doesn't feel like an, a tough offense to defend against. Yeah, I so I think Eric brought up a great point in terms of they might just run the ball a whole lot, which is actually I've obviously been a, a hater of running the ball for a long time. I think probably all four of us would agree that you'd like to see teams pass the ball more in the NFL if you want to bet on them. But it's not purely because of running the ball that I don't like Denver. It's because they sucked in third down situations last year. Like Russell Wilson was horrible. They were 29% on third down last season, lowest in the league. And you could say, okay, there's going to be some positive regression coming. But if you run the ball heavily on first and second down, you're forcing your quarterback into a lot of third and mediums, third and longs. And I just don't think that it's going to improve all that much. So maybe they're not 29% this year and they're 35% and they get some positive regression. But to me, that's still a recipe for disaster. And I think I agree that they're going to be one of the highest, at least early down running teams in the entire league this year from everything that's come out of camp so far. And sometimes you got to read the tea leaves and so on and so forth. But that's my big concern with Denver. Well, it's not like Russell Wilson's any good at the the sort of early down stuff that gets you out of third. Like the other, the, the reason they were so terrible on third down is because he's he's not he wasn't good last year at getting them to third and three. Like. I, I'm guessing if you adjusted by down and distance, they're probably you know just where they were supposed to be. But since he was so bad at getting those efficient, easy, easy things on early down, he's not very good at throwing over the middle, which is the most valuable part of the field. Like he's just, I, I think they're going to run the football to try to avoid that. But to your point, like the, this is just like it, it's gravity in the NFL. It's gonna, it's gonna happen that if you run the football on early downs, you're gonna be stuck with a lot, a lot of long yard situations. Hitman, go ahead. Look yeah, like you just, just to head on, yeah, Denver's going to be a run first team. They they signed blocking tight a blocking tight end and Chris Manhurts. They yeah. signed a fullback. The offensive line additions. Sean Payton's offenses got pretty run heavy towards the end of Drew Brees' career. Also, now some of that was with the fact that his arm strength was starting to go away. But Sean Payton is a believer in running the ball. So yeah, I think that this is going to be a a run first offense and. Yeah, it's a team that's probably going to be more of an under team, I would guess, just as they've been the past few years. Yeah, like, you know, I'm not a defensive coordinator in the league. I never will be. 
But if I wanted to pick a team going into the year where I could game plan against that team, Denver would be one of those teams. And it's very weird for me to say that with a Sean Payton uh, team, but Joe Lombardi as your OC as well, like that's not going to help matters in my opinion. I, I, I really think that the floor is extremely low for the Broncos this year. Like, uh, it, like I'm talking like a Sean Payton mid-season retirement type of low. Like that's, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. It sounds absurd, but I think like the right combination of things happens and that team could be deplorable. I could also look like an idiot and they can win the division. And this is why we, we love the NFL. Russell Wilson a season ago had under an 80 pass rating when running play action. Uh, 7.5 yards per pass attempt, which is like, that's putrid with, with that kind of advantage. It's just like he's it, he, he's going to have to surprise us to have a good season, frankly. Uh, I, I would agree. I, I mean, I, I, I think I think he's completely washed. But but again, Sean Payton coming back into the league, obviously taking a bunch of money. But I don't think he's coming back into a situation where he felt necessarily the quarterback was completely washed. Or I don't think that would have got him up off the couch again. So it remains to be seen. Uh, I want to get into like a little bit more of uh, mentality or like hypotheticals here um, and just how you guys typically are adjusting. Um, like if you're even adjusting based off of what you're seeing in training camp and what we're going to see in preseason in the next couple of weeks, because uh, I like probably every single one of you here and the viewers like to keep up with everything that's going on training camp wise. Most of the stuff we see from beat writers is tends to be positive um, reporting on big plays, how great a player looked. Um, you see very little of the negative around there, but uh, we'll go around the table here. And I'll start with you, George, in terms of how much of what's happening over the course of the last week and a half and what's going to happen in the next one or two weeks is going to affect your opinion of a team going into the season, aside from, from any injuries that happen. Are you upgrading a team basically on what you've seen out of training camp or preseason? Yeah, I can give you one example from last year where I did that. In general, I find a lot of this is noise, and the best people who are able to decipher what's actual signal will do the best when it comes to looking at all the all the stuff that's coming out of training camp. Beat writers tend to write positively, especially in training camp. So what I tend to look at is when I hear something negative, I tend to believe the negative a little bit more because it, it takes more to write about something that is negative. The Miami Dolphins last year, this is my example, and I'm not being a homer, but I watched their first preseason game, and Tua comes out. He's 12 of 15, 180 passing yards, 17 points in three drives. And and this was against starters. And you know what? I immediately said to myself, all right, this Dolphins offense can be way better than I, I expected. They were still two and a half against New England while this game was happening. And I said, okay, I, I've already been thinking about this play, and I had to go on it. The game ended up closing three and in some places a juice three. So I did end up doing well with that. But that was an example of just trusting my instincts. I'm like, listen, it's one thing to see it once against backups. When you come out three straight drives, move the ball down the field, look accurate, a uh, lot of yaks, and you could just see the scheme that McDaniel was doing. I'm like, no, this offense is way better than expected. This isn't going to be an average offense. This is going to be a pretty good offense. So that was one example of looking at something that happened during preseason and saying, Hey, I actually think this is tangible. I think this is real. The majority of it though, is, is frankly junk. 
Yeah, Eric, it's a fine line, right? Because we we put in all this work in the offseason to evaluate these players. We have historical data for all these players that tells us, gives us good indicators of what they should be going forwards. And then, like George said, you might watch three drives and, and say like, no, this is not what I thought this team was going to be. And you, you really, I mean, personally, I internally struggle with this when the eye test doesn't match what I have on paper or what I originally believed. And, and you're very data-driven guy, data scientist. I mean, how do you approach these situations? Yeah, I mean, think about like a year ago when the Raiders played the Jaguars, the Raiders with a new coach, or both teams had a new coach, the Raiders looked like the team that had every I dotted and T crossed in that first game. And they were they were sharp, they were crisp. And, you know, you come out of the gate and the, and the Jaguars looked terrible in, in that first preseason game. You come out of the gate, the Jaguars, even like throughout the season, were really, you know, a really good net net points, you know, net uh, you know, net EPA team and all that kind of stuff. There was a lot of noise in that first game, even to the point of like player props. Josh Jacobs was playing into like the second quarter, third quarter of that first preseason game. And he ends up getting he's legally in Russia. Right. So there's just so much noise. And but, you know, what I generally try to think about doing is looking at usage when I when I think about, OK, how how are teams playing different guys? Because if you have player level models, then you can sort of adjust the what we call shares. You can adjust like how much of the, the passing share is MVS going to get in Kansas City versus Sky Moore and all this kind of stuff. You can kind of adjust your priors there. You do have to be careful, though, because. You know, we found this, it comes back to Russell Wilson a little bit, where everybody on Twitter, for example, thought Pete Carroll was wrong about Russell Wilson. And we all thought, okay, the statistics were there. Usage is a, is usage tells us a little bit about what's going on behind the, behind the doors of those team facilities that we don't get to see. So it's a little bit of a balancing act between having a prior, adjusting the prior based on usage, but also like, let's say a team is playing a player who you don't like relative to a player you do like. Well, there's some signal in that too. So you do have to be a little bit careful to to adjust your numbers too much to something like that. That's, you know, for me, I, I do agree with George. I think if somebody is just like, look, you know, Justin Fields is, or it's Desmond Ritter right now. Desmond Ritter can't hit, throw it in the ocean. Like I'm going to take that a little bit more seriously than Justin Fields looks amazing. But I'm also, I'm more tied to what than how right now, which is who is actually playing, who's getting those reps uh, for these various teams. Yeah, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the Desmond Ritter situation because that was one in particular that I'd actually watched a bunch of throws in preseason. I'm like, this guy is holding the ball forever on these throws. And then I logged on today and uh, the NFL beat writers account was like just tweeting about Desmond Ritter, amazing throw downfield. To, so like now I'm going to have to. And, and this is the, the struggle with preseason. And, and Hitman, I want to talk to you about this because we first started sharing our power rating numbers with each other, I think like at the end of April, early May. And I've gotten back and looked at those numbers that I had at that point and now. And there's a lot of like, there's been a lot of movement and really not a lot has happened in the NFL other than like the draft, some offseason stuff and uh, a few few situations. I'm curious if, if you've had the same thing. I mean, if you were to compare your power ratings now from where they were even a couple months ago, um, how close are they to that point and, and how much will you adjust before the season? Yeah, it it changes up. Obviously, it's just you know the more time that passes, the more time, the more work you're doing, the more reports you're reading from beat writers, the more opinions you're sharing with other intelligent people that are helping adjust your ratings. But um, as far as like the adjustments I'm making training camps, like every now and then there are situations that 
I'll give you an example. Like New England last year, all we heard during that training camp was the offense looks absolutely terrible. And they were coming into that training camp with a pretty questionable hire at offensive coordinator. Now everybody was like, well, it's Bill Belichick. He knows what he's doing. And uh, I mean, he's the best coach of all time. So I see that perspective, but there was a lot of talk from every beat writer, everyone around the team that this offense looks terrible. And it did, I did end up downgrading them. And I ended up making a play on Miami in that week one game, as George said, when it was two and a half, it closed uh, three, three, three and a half. And the offensive problems were true. And it was a terrible hire that New England made at offensive coordinator. So sometimes you, you do want to make adjustments off that type of information. But uh, as far as like what Eric was saying with like, with following the usage and everything from certain players, I think that reading all these training camp reports, it's most beneficial in the player prop market. And personally, week one is my favorite or one of my favorite weeks to be betting player props because I feel like I have a better pulse on players usage going into week one whereas a lot of the sports books they're not following this type of information they're going off priors from the year before and all that so i do think that if you're going to be following all this stuff it's more important probably instead of the team following the team stuff it's more important to follow players on an individual basis and look to attack them in some season-long player prop markets or the week one prop markets we're going to end up end off with the Hall of Fame game here in a second. Now, before we do, uh, if you just joined us late, we're going to be live every Wednesday throughout the NFL season, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern time. As the regular season goes on, we'll be giving a lot more picks, and we will be locking in those picks and tracking them ourselves via bet stamp. In the top right corner of your screen, you see Forward Progress HQ. That's the account to follow on bet stamp. Download the app, follow us whenever we lock in into play. It will be an official play. It will be tracked there, fully transparent. If you're listening to this after the fact on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, betstamp.app, download it, check it out. Forward Progress HQ is the account to follow. And again, we will be doing Q&As leading up to the season as well. So if you have questions, just drop them in the comments below. Hit us up on Twitter at The Hammer HQ or just email us, forwardprogress at thehammer.bet. Hall of Fame game tomorrow night, our first taste of real football. I use real in quotations because it's mostly backups, but Hitman yesterday, two days ago, uh, I, I lose time during football season. It was two days ago. Two Saw a pretty ago. big movement move, move on this game um, where the New York Jets took a ton, ton of money. They were a plus two and a half point favorite, moved to two, and now all the way to a two point favorite. Money line at Pinnacles minus 123. You are definitely the preseason specialist. Uh, so much so that you're not coming to bet bash because you can't get away from your computer to bet NFL preseason. So I uh, need you to handicap this game for the crowd here if you played anything and if you still like anything in the game. Um, I thought Jets plus two and a half was a very good play. Um, obviously, well-known betting group, uh, hand, um, sell, pick service, right angle sports, gave out plus two and a half. That was a play that I was definitely eyeing, but um, they beat me to it whole lot, whole game flipped new favorite. Now um, I did think that that move was correct. And some people might say, well, the line moved from plus two and a half to minus one and a half minus two right now. There's no way just a service giving out a play is worth that much. Well, no, in the preseason, 
I wouldn't give the odds makers these opening lines. I would give them very little respect because they're just guessing on this stuff. And the guys that are truly grinding the preseason where they know the quarterback rotations, they know which coaches tend to want to win the games more. And they also follow the news. They're going to get the best lines. And there's point. There's times where these lines are, these openers are actually off like four or five points. It's not unheard of. And the best example I could give is that when I'm betting on these games and I'm sending out an order, like if it's a regular season game, I might send out an order on a bet I want. And I'll say, yeah, I'm, I'm good with this amount. This is the number I want. Just fill it up to that amount. Preseason, when I'm sending out games and orders, it's just an open order almost every single time. Hey, this line's way off. The line's going to close four points different. We'll just play back the other side. Just get as much as possible. So that just goes to show you how big the edge is in the preseason. But as we were talking about with this Hall of Fame game, I did play some Jets. I, I was able to get some two and a half. I did play a little bit of Jets minus 120 after the Josh Dobbs news that came out. The Jets have a pretty significant quarterback edge. 120 was kind of the borderline, and it was a very small play for me. And so at 123, which I believe is the best number in market right now at Pinnacle, if I did want to make a really small bet on this, it, it's, it would be the Jets still at minus 123. Uh, George, I'll throw to you here. If you have any anything on the game uh, whatsoever, and just like your general approach to preseason as well. Yeah, I used to uh, go through the whole process of like new coach and position battles and which teams are established and like trying to actually handicap the games. And I'm like, this market has now become purely an informational market. It is like the NFL draft. If you are glued to your screen and you pick up uh, from a beat reporter or, or news about who's going to play and who isn't, you often can beat a line and, and the line will shift pretty large. I personally don't bet preseason as much. Um, the idea of flagging some of my accounts uh, four weeks before the regular season where I can get some larger liquidity down does not appeal to me. But I do realize how big the ROI uh, is on games like this just because, you know, where else can you beat a closing line by five without real, uh, without a key injury that happens, right? It's just an informational market. I think the most interesting thing about this game are the potential quarterback matchups at certain point. Uh, Patrick in the chat says, Jets first half, please. Zach Wilson versus Kellen Mond. I mean, when you put it that way, I mean, it's not really that appealing for me to bet on Zach Wilson. But uh, Eric, if I see the preseason GOAT, Chris Drevler, take the field for the Jets at any point, it's going to be mashing that live bet button on the Jets as much as humanly possible. Yeah, quarterbacks that can run in the preseason, just like quarterbacks that can run in the in the you know it's just priced in better during the regular season. But quarterbacks that can run provide a floor that is just immense. And when you think about what's a characteristic of the preseason, you look at PFF grades. Back when I worked at PFF, it was like you look at some of these offensive line grades that come through in some of these preseason games, and it's a horror show. And the the deep, there's just so many more defensive linemen that are NFL capable than there are offensive linemen. If you if you have somebody like Kellen Mond who has difficult time processing and he's not as you know he's he's somewhat mobile but not as mobile let's say as Chris Trevler or even Zach Wilson who moves around pretty well then that to me is another place to look so like I'm I'm more going to look towards athletic quarterbacks in the preseason because the offensive defensive line matchup is is entirely you know you know it, it's just 
it's just so mis mismanaged uh, by by a lot of these teams because you know if you get an offensive lineman hurt, it's you know in a weak link system, it's so horrible. So these guys leave these these players on the bench for most of the preseason, and it leaves that that huge disadvantage there. And so I also think, by the way, Zach Wilson's been horrendous in his first couple of years in the NFL. Like there is something to this whole idea of like he has no pressure on him right now, and he could very well come out and be like a second overall pick kind of talent in a situation like this as well. So, when, you know, so I, I do think that there's, a, there's some opportunity for him to come out and play well tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, listen, I I've watched a ton of preseason in my life, especially the first week. And, you know, typically it's, you know, it, it's rough at times, but Zach Wilson, Tim Boyle, Chris Strevler is like, it's pretty solid option for, you know, hall of fame game uh, relative to Kellen Mond playing, uh, a ton of time for Cleveland and uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is on the roster as well for them. I mean, seems like a pretty large quarterback advantage for the, for the New York jets. Um, I just did confirm it as well. Hitman Ed, it is the best price in market. So jets minus minus one twenty three at pinnacle. If you're in Ontario, obviously I preached it off the top. Uh, you'll hear me say it about a million times this year, but if you're not price sensitive, when you're betting the NFL, you pretty much have no hope of, of betting the NFL. So at least do yourself a favor and get a pinnacle account in Ontario if you're 19 plus and remember to play responsibly. That's going to be it for us this week on forward progress. Again, subscribe to the channel, stay tuned. We're going to be releasing a full season schedule in the next coming weeks. We're literally going to have content every day of the season, except for Saturdays throughout the NFL season. There's a ton of stuff here. Suma is going to be joining us a lot more. Clev TA, Jeff Feinberg, Ian McMillan. Got a ton of stuff coming up on the network. So make sure that you're subscribed. Smash the like button if you did enjoy the content today. And of course, like I said, we want audience participation. We want to answer your questions and make sure that you're part of this community as well. So if you do have questions, make sure you put them down in the comments below so that we can get to them in the future. For myself, Rob Pizzola, for Eric Eager, Sumer Sports, for the hitman and for George Silfidis. I hope I got that right, George. Uh, give me a nod if I did. Thank you very much for tuning in to Forward Progress, and we will catch you next time.